CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time of the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, October 26, 2022. Here's a headline in Chicago's Today, Chicago Sun-Times. It sort of sums up what uh, millions and millions of people have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Uh, it just sort of plays into the, the general insanity of our times. Uh, how, hometown Zero, uh, Hometown Zero uh, is the headline in the Sun-Times. The subhead is, for some Chicagoans, Ye has gone from hometown hero to hometown zero. Mural of rapper painted over in West Loop and amid fallout after anti-Semitic remarks. Uh, Andy Grimm story. And uh, we've been talking about this a lot uh, on our show all week. Uh, Ye West, of course, is the artist rapper formerly known as Kanye West a billionaire a superstar in several uh, venues several operations fashion rap uh, and he has a platform of I I think I just saw this 30 million or 50 million I can't remember which a huge social media uh, outreach uh, since Elon Musk purchased Twitter a whole other story <laughs> just kind of got lost in the shuffle this week uh, he has said that uh, Kanye West is welcome back to Twitter after Twitter kicked Kanye West off uh, for his virulent anti-Semitic comments. Uh, and he has been dropped not just by uh, the muralist here in Chicago. Uh, Adidas blew up their deal with him. Uh, he um, has lost several other business ventures. And um, he's a persona non grata in many places. Uh, and then there's this debate that is ignited, a you know, bizarre only in America debate, uh, where uh, many people, uh, particularly many black people, are responding that, well, he only got kicked off for making the anti-Semitic remarks. He didn't get kicked off uh, for making uh, the anti-black remarks. And it is true. He has been off the wall in terms of uh, politics and uh, uh our whole entire history of race relations for about the last four years, uh, starting back, I want to say it was in 2018 or maybe it was 2017. The years are coming together when he met in the white house with Donald Trump, put a Trump hat on, uh, made a colossal ass of himself in my humble opinion. And, uh, yeah, Donald Trump was one of those classic scenes where Kanye West was babbling idiocy, lunacy out of, what are the known ether regions of his mind? Uh, and Donald Trump is nodding along as though uh, he's hearing some deep, profound wisdom. And what he's probably thinking is, I finally met someone who's more of a lunatic than I am, and I'm just going to nod along. And I seen that same look on the face of Tucker Carlson, fast forward four years later, uh, when Kanye West was uh, making his bizarre uh, rambling rants on the tucker carlson show 
and Tucker Carlson nodding along like, oh, I'm hearing this just profound genius coming from this man. And it's suddenly the world looked one way before I heard this. And now it looks some way differently. And I really understand. I can relate, man. And I almost expect him to start clicking his uh, fingers like it was a beatnik. You know, I really dig you, man. I mean, it's so weird, <laughs> this rapture in which Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump hold Kanye West, and they know he's babbling nonsense. They know he's full of it, and they're just merely using him as a prop. They're using him as a prop, ladies and gentlemen, just to put him up as a black man, a black celebrity with 50 million followers in order to undercut Democrats in the upcoming election as if to say, there's no racism in this country. There's no legacy to slavery. Slavery was a choice. Kanye West said that. He said that how many years ago? And so, yeah, there could be a whole conversation as to why Kanye West uh, was not boycotted uh, after he said slavery uh, is a choice. But I will point out a lot of people, a lot of consumers, a lot of ordinary consumers in this country continue to support Kanye with their money after he said that. They bought his uh, his uh, releases. They bought his shoes. They went to his concerts. Thirty eight thousand, I want to say, Soldier Field to see Kanye West last year, last summer. Remember that Chicago? There was no boycott. People freely gave up their money to see Kanye West after he put on the bag of hat. After he said uh, slavery is a choice. So I don't think I just think Americans got to look in the mirror at some point. And be accountable for what they do. If you're offended by what Kanye West said when he said slavery is your choice, why'd you buy the tickets to go to his concert? Why'd you buy his records? Why'd you buy his shoes? I just, at some point, it's my same message to MAGA America, always crying about freedom of speech and, you know, how they're being picked on. And do you ever look in the mirror how you're like not being so tolerant when it comes to other people's speech? No. You're just the only victim in the world. Is that it? Is that where we are in America? So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad to see the world is speaking out uh, and standing up to uh, Ye West because he's in many ways uh, a bully and he uses this tremendous platform he has to bring to spread hate uh, and just all kinds of like evil into the world. It's about time. Better late than never is what I say. I, I believe the outrage should have been there way back when, when he put that red hat on uh, and met with Donald Trump and made a colossal ass of himself. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on my uh, guest and my distinguished guest, introduce himself. We're going to talk about all the topics of the day, politically speaking, uh, and he is going to give me all kinds of reassurances that will make me feel better about where we <laughs> Where we are in America today, not too much pressure on my distinguished guest. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, Ben, now I'm nervous. Did you book the right person for today? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm David Ferris. I'm a associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, a contributing writer at The Week and Newsweek, the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. And uh, I'm so detached from popular culture that I still call him Kanye. So I, I guess um, I don't know what has changed in the interim. Um, but good news for Kanye and all of the other Nazis is they'll probably be allowed back on Twitter soon because uh, Elon Musk's purchase of the website went through. Uh, he's moved into the office and uh, pretty soon I'm sure it'll be a cesspool of, uh, of hatred and, and harassment. Again, if you thought Twitter was bad now, give it about a month. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see where that goes. But uh, the, the perennial question of, <clears throat> you know, what can celebrities do to um, lose your business or lose your support or, or lose your adulation, you know, and I'm, he's crossed the line many times, right? He crossed the line a long time ago. He's done it again. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't shed any tears for people like that. You know, there's people on the right, they're going to whine about cancellation uh, you know how they talk about the Alex Jones verdict, verdict now in terms of the regime? You know, they say the regime wants to silence Alex Jones. Um, and it's like, what what interest do you have in in people telling lies about, like, murdered children? And what what interest do you have in people being allowed to spew hatred about, about Jews and things like that? You know, I mean, we have a very permissive speech regime in this country, but it, it doesn't cover private corporations. It doesn't mean you can, you can walk into a, a concert hall and 
uh, and unleash a torrent of disgusting slurs and hatred and people are still going to buy tickets to your show you know uh cancellation is free speech too you know so um kanye is getting canceled and and he's he's earned it you know he's 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 uh he's sacrificing a great deal of his popularity on the altar of his deranged conspiracy theories and and his and the hatred that is in his heart you know i understand the man is uh is ill in some ways and um but i i don't you know if it's bipolar i don't think it's fair to the bipolar community man to to just be like, well, you know, bipolar people, you know, what are, what are you going to do, right? It's like most bipolar people are not anti-Semites, you know. Um, they they get something that they have wild swings. They get manic and they they maybe they do things they say they regret, but they're not um, they're not racists, you know. They're not um, they're not hateful people. They they have a sickness, um, and and Kanye has that sickness, but he also has um, a, a sickness in his soul. You know, I, I don't understand where we've got to the point in this country where it's controversial to call that out and just be like, look, man, I'm not going to buy your records anymore. Um, and maybe that's a sacrifice. You know, I remember oh, 10 years ago, um, this, uh, I, there was a show on TV. I love more than anything else at that time, which was Louis, um, the, the comedian Louis CK. Oh man. I, I mean, just the show was just pure genius, you know? Um, and then it was revealed that he was <laughs> you know, not a good dude. Right. Um, and had done, things to, to women and the industry and uh, just lewd and, and hateful things. And I stopped watching his show uh, and I don't, and I'm not going to go see him in concert. And that's, that's fine. You know, <laughs> he's selling out shows still and I get to exercise my right not to do that. Um, and so that's, what's going to happen to Kanye. I don't know how long it'll last, but we'll see. Well, God, you brought up so many topics uh, in that uh, response that I got to re respond to. Uh, so all the other things I was going to talk about, they're getting pushed back. Well, I don't know if I'm going to get to them, but uh, <laughs> typical David Ferris conversation on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, the notion that cancel culture is bad uh, when somebody uh, is canceling someone that you either are not offended by or don't agree with or or agree with is a very strange twist uh in america and one of the biggest in his own way um proponents of it uh, is bill maher who delights in like equating cancel culture and wokeness to some of the worst things that maga is up to in terms of like i just name it <laughs> climate change voting rights inequities Gun control. What? Just name it. I, and help me understand this, uh, David. How has this sunk in? You know, part of the I remember um, people telling me that I shouldn't be so critical of Kanye West. Back, this was before the anti-Semitism when I was criticizing him for the MAGA hat and slavery was a choice. You know, because you're canceling his culture. And I'm like, why? Why is that bad? If it's the same thing as you saying, I'm not going to go see Louis C.K. anymore because he had this weird propensity for wanting to masturbate in front of women uh, and he got caught. And so please explain to me how it is that somehow or other people generally on the left or people who are liberals or whatever we're called are criticized for responding to offensive behavior by other people. Like we're doing something wrong. They're offending us. We respond with a f showing our offense and then, oh, you're gone too far. Help me understand what, what the psychological dynamic is that's at play here. Well, sure. I mean, first of all, people don't like to be criticized, right? I mean, <laughs> it's like uh, there's, a, there's a, co a cohort of people in this country who um, think that they have the right to say whatever they want um, and then never to take any flack for it. You know, that the very the act of, of saying to someone, Hey, that's a, you know, that's a rude, that's an offensive thing to say. Why are you saying that? Um, and you know, advertisers not wanting to be on your show or concert halls, not wanting to book you or someone not wanting to hire you, um, because you're a racist, uh, that that's somehow illegal or that's somehow a betrayal of American values. Um, and I, I just, I just don't think that's the case, right? Like you don't have a right not to be criticized. Um, we, you can call it cancellation if you want, 
Um, it's really mostly just criticism, right? I think the thing that rubs people the wrong way um, is is the sort of the consequences of it, right? Like the this this mythology that <clears throat> there are tens of thousands of people whose lives have been ruined by cancel culture, um, and cancel culture is largely uh, a figment of the right wing imagination, right? It's like uh, it's you, you pick a handful of incidents on campus. And you put together that with, uh, you know, something the most left-wing politician in America said, um, and you roll it into a stew, and then suddenly you've got a narrative in your mind um, that that the that the so-called woke left is is systematically trying to root people out of our culture and our institutions who don't, you know, who don't abide by a certain, um, you know, progressive or intersectional reading of reality. Um, and I really, I don't think that's the case. I, I just don't think that's really happening to, to almost anyone in, in the whole world. <laughs> uh, a lot of the most famous cases of so-called cancellation are people who went on to have lucrative careers, um, you know, either touring or in right-wing media. Um, there's there's always a place for you. You know, the the New York Times pitch bot that we love to, to share with each other um, has, a number, <laughs> has a number of tweets about, it's like people that are like, um, uh, you know, I was canceled and my life was ruined. Please watch my primetime special on Fox at 8 p.m. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was canceled. You know, it's like, no, actually he wasn't, right? Like he'll probably be at the 2024 RNC. He'll be fine. Uh, and he's a murderer, right? So it's like, I'm oh, sorry, alleged murderer. And I don't want to get you in trouble. Um, so it's like um, people on the right simply cannot, I think, accept that certain behavioral expectations and, and norms and um, the way that we interact with each other has changed a little bit in the last 40 or 50 years. Um, and they simply cannot stand the idea that, that like a white dude in his forties can't just like walk into a room um, and start slinging slurs, you know, or, or start, you know, pontificating about, you know, well, women aren't funny, you know, oh, how about that? Right. Like, uh, well, that, that kind of stuff, right. Like just sort of casual misogyny, that, that was, you know, everywhere when I was growing up, right, that, that we're now just trying to push back on a little bit. Um, and it's like, uh, they've kind of lost their minds over it. To be honest. It's like, uh, people are like, the Democrats don't tolerate dissent anymore. You know, and I'm like, have you watched Tim Ryan campaign recently, right? Like, Democrats are going nuts for this dude. Um, and he's, he, he's, he's essentially running against cancel culture, right? It's like, it's a big tent. So I don't know. I get really frustrated by this discourse because it's my it's my industry that gets caricatured so often, you know, like left wing professors that want to brainwash your children. Yeah. Um, and it, and uh, the idea that college should be fundamentally about debate, you know, like uh, all of my classes should be just like, all right, everybody separate the room on one side, pro-life on the other side, pro-choice. Let's go at it for two hours, you know, and that's a college yeah. education. It's like, no, actually. I'm trying to teach people how to write and criticize and take apart an argument um, and, uh, and and construct their own. I don't actually really care what people think, right? Um, I'm not I'm not trying to inflict my my worldview on anyone. Um, my institution happens to draw 99% liberals, you know, so it's not that hard. But <laughs> I've taught at other places where you know you can't can't do some of the things I do. Um, anyway, it's just uh, it's it's a sort of a, a paranoid delusion about where the culture is heading and like a bunch of people that didn't like their HR sexual harassment training, uh, linking up with the anti-Semites and the, and the neo-Nazis and the authoritarians, um, to the point where you have prominent right-wing intellectuals, uh, applauding Vladimir Putin's speech about, uh, you know, how the invasion of Ukraine is about cancel culture and yeah. rooting out the trans people or whatever, you know, um, it, it really, the more you dig into it, the scarier it is, right? You go from this, like, seemingly harmless critique of cancellation or cancel culture um, to this like bubbling, you know, anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-Semitic, um, anti-democracy movement that you have in the U.S. right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's all part of the same cultural ferment. And it's not great. All right. So how do you, uh, what's your sense of how Elon Musk is going to affect all of this? by taking over Twitter? Well, you know, t Twitter's business model depends on people spending a lot of time on the website and, and posting things, right? Like they have to sell the ads in order for the, uh, the ad makers to want to buy space on Twitter. 
um, they had a lot of people looking at the ads, which means you need to be scrolling through your feed, right? Um, and like a lot of things, it's a, it's a relatively small number of people who produce the, the vast majority of, of content on Twitter that gets shared or engaged with. Um, and that's not, that's not, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on people that don't have a ton of followers. Okay. I don't either. Um, but, but the reality is like, they need those people on the site producing what is, what is essentially free, you know, free content for Twitter to sell to advertisers. Um, and, and a few years ago, people got really fed up early, kind of early in the Trump administration with the Nazis. Um, I've, I've experienced this where, you know, you write something and then suddenly your, your private messages are full of. Uh, vitriol and, and death threats and um, your replies are full of this stuff. And over the last three, four, five years, Twitter has rolled out not, you know, not perfect moderation policies, but they have tried, I think, fairly hard um, to make it more difficult for like Nazis and misogynists and incels and like weirdos to harass you um, when you when you write things. And my life has gotten more pleasant on Twitter in the last three or four years. And if Musk says what he says, if he does what he says he's going to do, and he brings Trump back on Twitter, and he brings uh, people who have been banned from Twitter for saying anti-Semitic or racist things, or um, even like you know people who are like vaccines give you the microchip from Bill, Bill Gates, and those people come back on a Twitter, um, it's going to be it's 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 going to destroy the platform essentially, right? Like it's a it's a misunderstanding of what the value of the platform actually is. Musk thinks it's like a free speech playground. Right. When in actuality, what most people go to Twitter for is to is to get information and insight and knowledge from people that they trust. Um, and if they can't do that without encountering a million Nazis, they're not going to come to Twitter anymore. Right. Um, and so my sense is the most likely outcome here is is either Musk destroys Twitter. <laughs> like he takes his forty four billion dollar investment, which is, I think, at least 15 times what Twitter is worth. Um, and he, and he raises it to the ground with his hubris or after about a month or so, he'll be like, Oh, nobody wants to use Twitter anymore. If I bring the Nazis back, we better get rid of the Nazis again. Um, and maybe things don't really change that much. I, I don't really know. Um, and I don't spend that much time on Twitter that I'm overly invested in it, but I do think it's, um, you know, anytime, um, a, a sort of a a dedicated ideological right winger acquires a major piece of media real estate in, in this country. I, I do find it alarming just in the way that kind of similar to the way that like Sinclair has rolled up all these like local news broadcasts that, um, that voters watch thinking that they can trust it. It's like, uh, you know, all right, forget national politics, you know, what's going on in Toledo. Um, and then the network in Toledo is like, you know, cancel culture, Rashida Tlaib, you know, this stuff, right? Like they nationalize the, the local networks with their like poisonous um, agenda. And then before you know it, there's hardly any news outlets that ordinary people read who, who aren't directly plugged into the, net, the progressive left that are going to give them the straight story. Um, so the, the larger concern here is another big media organization, media entity falling into the hands of a, you know, of kind of a bad person, right? With with a with a mega agenda, who's aligned with Trump, um, who has like more and more openly signaled his support for um, the the right wing agenda. It's like worse than Zuckerberg on Facebook, right? Like Zuckerberg is more like stupidity and negligence and like overcorrecting for the criticisms that Facebook has taken in the past, and and that has turned Facebook into mostly a MAGA cesspool inhabited by people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't spend any time on Facebook anymore. I can't, I can't deal with it. You know, it's like, not only is it like that, they've also ruined the user experience. They've done it to Instagram too, um, where there's more and more ads. And um, it's mostly, you know, your racist uncle sharing his racist thoughts. And it's like, I, I thought this was the place where I connected with my high school friends. And <laughs> it's all just changed. So anyway, I don't like it. Um, but we'll have to see where it goes. Um, you know, it's people could migrate to another platform. The problem is if you're somebody with a significant following on Twitter, the, the idea of moving to a different platform and then rebuilding that following all over again is a little bit daunting, right? So people have, people do have an incentive and an investment in the platform to stay and to try to fix it or fight back against what he's doing. But 
he's already out there firing a bunch of staff and programmers and people who were doing the content moderation. And I think he's in for a big rude surprise, but, but who knows? He's, he's made a lot more money in his life. Well, than I have. you know what is uh very bizarre. Uh, and I think I've probably mentioned this to you more than once, uh, is that his empire was built, uh, largely by selling, uh, gas-free cars, electric cars to liberals or people who care about the impact of gasoline-driven uh, cars, uh, motorized cars, uh, on the planet. And he has been the beneficiary of all kinds of government handouts uh, and incentives, better word, I suppose, than handouts, uh, to encourage people to buy his cars. And that has been the fortune. That's the foundation of his fortune. Uh, and now he is constructing uh, a, a social media empire and uniting with a political party that uh, is opposed to the notion that we need to take steps to protect the planet, that we need to essentially give incentives for uh, electric cars. So he's kind of working against himself. I don't know if he's thought about it, cares about it. Maybe he has so much money that he's uh, protected, shielded from any kind of accountability, but it's completely contradictory. Uh, well, everything MAGA does uh, at one point or another, uh, David, is completely contradictory, including their so-called belief in free speech as they try to muzzle teachers who are teaching uh, race relations. Just imagine if you were a history teacher in a public school in Florida right now and the challenges you would face as you try to teach the Civil War uh, to your young scholars. So it it just... It makes no sense from a business standpoint. He put up his own stock uh, as collateral to get the buy the damn thing. Uh, probably regretting that at this very moment. I, I don't quite. I don't know what to make of the man. He, he's his. Um, I guess he's. They label him a genius the way people label Kanye West a genius. And I just think that anybody who's rich is called a genius these days, David. No matter how insane they are how lucky they are, <laughs> fill in the blanks. Uh, but I think it's very destructive. I think that my pillow guy is really, is really good evidence that you don't have to be a genius to make money in America, right? Um, sometimes you just have to get lucky. Uh, it is curious to me that Elon Musk is associating himself and his personal brand and Tesla with the MAGA movement because the, the vast majority of people that want to buy Teslas are, again, as you said, like liberals who want to save the planet. Uh, there's nothing particularly special about the cars themselves. I've been in them. Um, and it's, you know, as I think I've said on the, on the show before, it's, it's like a $70,000 Chevette. Um, and uh, it's fine, right? But like, I, you know, if, if, if I'm walking into a show, if I'm like, I need a car, who should I buy my car from? Um, and I really want an electric car. Okay. Um, Tesla is not the only option out there anymore, right? They're, 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 it's not even, I think, the best electric car on the market, right? There's Polestar, there's like all the major um, uh, manufacturers are rolling out plug-in hybrids and hybrids and, you know, you name it. Everybody's getting into this business, especially um, after the bill that the Democrats passed this summer that incentivized um, consumers to buy these cars. Not, uh, this is a whole other story. Okay, this, they didn't do it very well. <laughs> As someone who's looking into it, okay, there's like a list of like five cars that you can buy with this rebate. But But the reality is I think more and more uh, manufacturers will, will be complying with the terms of that. Um, why would I go, like, why would I give money to Elon Musk, like this red-hatted weirdo? Um, why would I do that instead of going, like, I'll just go buy a Ford, you know? <laughs> like, what? Why would I buy a Tesla? There's other luxury brands on the market. There's, uh, there's other luxury electric vehicles. I, I just don't understand, just from a purely business standpoint, why you would alienate, like, 52% of your potential customer base by associating yourself with like a, a growing fascist movement, you know, um, especially a growing fascist movement full of people who, who think that like uh, um, talking about uh, moving past fossil fuels is cancel culture. You know, they're like, they want to cancel fossil fuels. You know, yeah. they're, they're anti-oil. Yeah. I want to turn our kids against oil. It's like, <laughs> why, do you, why do you like oil? Why do you like it? You know, what, what's, what went wrong in your childhood that you, you like oil? Oil powers your car. 
You know, if, if something else could power the car that's less destructive to the earth, why does that bother you? <laughs> like, I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. But I'm not a psychologist. So what do I know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's something deep there. I don't know. Uh, and it, it, and when I watch the political ramifications and I watch the Democrats who now we're going to move into the political end of things, they run away from anything that a lefty uh, proclaimed. Green New Deal was, uh, when was it? I'm trying to think when AOC and uh, the other progressives uh, unveiled that. I want to say 2019. I've lost track of time, really have. Uh, and now it's like all the consultants say, don't say Green New Deal. And I'm like, you, know, you can't say defund the police. Uh, talk about cancel culture. You, you're not allowed. Like, the Democrats have, you got Bill Maher. Oh, just get me started on this. Bill Maher mocking every single liberal person who's upset by some transphobic rhetoric coming out of, of, of MAGA, going, people, people, come on. And he's like, there they go again. They say defund the police. They say Green New Deal. I'm like, wait a minute, aren't you canceling their culture? But you can't. Can't say it because it'll offend somebody and they will vote for MAGA because they don't want to hear those three words, Green New Deal, even though they probably think this is the swing voter that Bill Maher is always worried about losing. They all sort of believe that climate culture, uh, climate change is real. I mean, it's it's just part of the overall insanity of our times, David. Yeah, and then Democrats could could do this crazy thing where they would uh, try to convince people that the Green New Deal is good instead of running away from the Fox News caricature of it, which is like, AOC wants to slaughter all the cows. Did you know that? She wants to slaughter all the farting cows. You know, and that's pretty much, that's like pretty much the the, the sum total of the right wing's thinking about the Green New Deal um, is they're like, they want to turn us all into, they want to force veganism on us. Um, you know, put everybody in an electric vehicle and uh, make it a crime to burn oil. Um, and Democrats just kind of let these stereotypes just kind of float out there, you know, um, and then they run their campaigns um, in fear of the caricature that was created to destroy them. Um, and it's, you know, it's happening in every competitive race across the country. The ads that I see here in Illinois, um, you know, Darren Bailey's not going to win, right? But, <laughs> but his ads are indicative of, of the right wing strategy right now, which is like, scare everybody about Chicago, crime, 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 um, blaming uh, an increase in crime that began under Donald Trump um, that is relatively modest in scale by historical perspective, has absolutely no correlation um, with which kind of prosecutor, which kind of person is running which kind of place, uh, and blame it squarely on Democrats. And Democrats' response, rather than saying, like, isn't it sort of deranged that we try to, we try to like, read crime rates through whether a place is red or blue, um, they go out, they all go out and talk about how they, they want to fund, they would give more money to the cops. And, and, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to defund the police. They're all running away from us, you know, like a two year, two and a half year old activist slogan that was repudiated by like basically the entire party after about five days. Um, and, and it's like, they are just, again, they're playing on the Republicans turf. Um, and it's depressing because, I don't see any candidates willing to go out and talk meaningfully and knowledgeably about Democrats' policies on crime um, or um, the things that they want to do to reform the criminal justice system. I remember summer of 2020, we all wanted systemic reform for about two weeks until Republicans turned it into a partisan issue. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say, but they're, they're, they're running away from this stuff in, in fear and they're running away from inflation and fear. Um, no, it's now you're tapping into one of my favorite topics. The first time Kanye went before Donald Trump and put the hat on, he, he was in the White House uh, supporting Trump's efforts to quote unquote reform the criminal justice system. There was, I think they called it the Second Act Bill. It was perhaps the greatest thing that Donald Trump did as president. Uh, made it easier for folks who have been in jail for prison for a long, long time to get out if, you know, like they'd served a significant chunk of of um, uh, time. And um, 
So that was the first thing that he was, they were talking about criminal reform. Now he is essentially siding with a Republican party that's completely gone in the other direction. And they're using him uh, to elect candidates who would go back to stop and frisk, who would uh, go back to high cash bail, who are trying to scare uh, uh, people into voting for them uh, just based on a fear of crime. The exact thing that he joined Trump with back in 2017 or 2018, whatever it was, is now the thing that he's united with MAGA to defeating. I, you know, I understand that America has no memory whatsoever, but I mean, we should take a moment just to pause and think about how meaningless this MAGA is. MAGA is just like a, a, a nonstop PR campaign. There's a nonstop marketing campaign, uh, uh, which is quite successful. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. There was that brief moment in, after George Floyd murder was broadcast to us all where people said, oh, maybe we should reconsider things. Uh, Democrats acted in the state of Illinois and now they're paying a price for it. And Kanye West is leading the charge. It is so twisted. Uh, David, it is really twisted. It gets me even more upset than I already was. No, I know. And it's like, it just makes you want to, it just, it makes you wish we could have a, a like a, a, like a grown up conversation about cause and effect, you know, like is crime up in Chicago because of, um, JB Pritzker or like proposed legislation that hasn't gone into effect yet or uh, defunding of the police that didn't actually happen. Um, or <laughs> as with past increases and decreases in crime, is it actually kind of a mystery that probably has broader societal causes that are not directly attributable to, to Democrats or Republicans, right? Um, like, uh, there's a lot of thinking about the, you know, the so-called crime wave of the 70s and 80s um, that's not connected to whether certain, you know, certain types of politicians were running your state, right? Like, there's, there's, there's other causes here. The pandemic probably played a major role in, in these uh, increases in crime. And um, you see them in states that locked down. You see them in states that were like, forget it, who cares? Let's all give each other COVID. Um, you, st- you see it in states that shut down the schools. You see it in states that didn't shut down the schools. Um, and it's, you'd be really hard pressed to point to one variable and be like, I can see this is why the crime is up. Um, and so I, I know it's hard to do this kind of nuance in a campaign, um, but it's also, I don't think it benefits anybody in the Democratic Party um, to just to just like absorb these attacks and have nothing to say back to them, right? Like that's that's one of the problems I see for Democrats right now um, is you had this period where we were riding high on the on the backlash to the Dobbs decision. We kind of evened things up, um, and then starting in sort of mid to late September, Republicans have gone on the warpath about crime and inflation, crime and inflation, crime and inflation. And what is the response to that from Democrats? Um, mostly is to ignore it because we don't think that we have what political scientists call issue ownership over these things, right? Like we think that these are Republican, uh, these are areas that benefit Republicans. And so we have more or less ceded that territory to them. Um, And I think that that's a huge mistake to not have uh, some kind of pushback on these attacks that that are like, that's preposterous to blame this on us. Um, You're you're getting it wrong. You're exaggerating it. Um, America actually has like among the lowest inflation rates in the democratic world, right? This is a global problem caused by a global crisis. You know, how dare you blame it on one, you know, on, on Joe Biden's policies. It's ridiculous. Inflation right now is not, it's not being caused by the COVID checks that were cut like 19 months ago. Right. This is obviously a systemic problem. So I don't know. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I must point out before we make the transition, I agree with everything you said. And yet if the roles were reversed, you know, as well as I do, Democrats would be showing the same kinds of commercials trying to blame whatever Republican was in charge. So th- it's, it's where we, it, there is just a, <laughs> there is just a, a madness to uh, the whole system. I, I, I'm almost upset about the Bill Clintons of the world uh, and James Carville and Rahm Emanuel and whoever else designed uh, this whole approach and strategy as I am. At, well, no, I'll never, not as much as I am at MAGA because they're just freaking racist and everything. But uh, that notion of it's the economy stupid, which I think is, poisoned the democratic uh, mind so much they run away from absolutely any kind of long-range strategic plan or policy 
they buy into every talking point that the Republicans come back and challenge them with. Uh, they are just focused on the very most narrow moments of history. So if they're running and the gas prices are rising, let's use it. And they'll have a guy at the pump just like the Republicans do. It's as mindless. Uh, it's as ineffective and it's bipartisan. And I, I have to emphasize that because I, I do believe Democrats would be doing the same damn thing uh, if they had, uh, if the roles reversed. Which brings me to Tim Ryan's campaign in Ohio. I want to hear you riff on this. Uh, running against J.D. Vance, yeah, who, a MAGA man to the core. And uh, Democrats, Democratic strategists uh, and of the New York Times persuasion are ecstatic about that campaign. So sort of analyze what Ryan is doing and, uh, you know, what your uh, reaction is uh, to his campaign. Well, okay. So first of all, the press corps has a love of like these um, working class white Ohio Democrats the same way. So I'm from Philadelphia, by the way, I'm extremely excited about the world series starting tonight. Um, and, uh, the Philly, Philadelphia Phillies fans have this long habit of falling in love with and lionizing like, uh, weird looking like white utility players, you know, um, like, like a backup catcher named Sal Fasano. Um, there was Aaron Rowan, who was a center fielder we got from the White Sox, right? Who was like fine, right? But, but like folk hero, right? And you sit back and you're like, why are all the folk heroes white people? You know, so weird. Uh, what what do you think's going on under the hood there? And I say this as a Phillies fan, okay? Um, but but people have these subconscious biases, and it's just it just is what it is. And there's nothing that the press corps loves more than a, than a Democrat in Ohio um, running on sort of like MAGA light themes about global trade and um, and investment and, and neglect of certain kind of communities and. You know, my position on Tim Ryan is, you know, he, he's probably going to he's probably going to lose. Um, he'll probably run seven to 10 points ahead of the, the governor candidate there, which is a which is a function of a, you know, the Republican governor, Mike DeWine, is, is well liked and um, is not, you know, like by the standards of the era is a is a reasonable enough Republican. Um, and the Democrat, the Senate candidate in Ohio is an idiot. Um, named JD Vance, <laughs> yeah. um, who like built his reputation as like the thinking man's MAGA guy, um, you know, sort of like MAGA explaining MAGA to us in his in his horrible book Hillbilly Elegy, um, and then decided that he you know he was going to have a complete change of his persona, um, forget that he went to Harvard and and start speaking and talking and acting like a Trump guy, um, and he's not very good at it. Um, and so you have a combination of like you have a Democrat who um, who has been in office in, in the House, who has built this brand for himself over time as like he's always been against NAFTA. Right. Um, he's always been against trade deals. He's always been the guy that's like we're hollowing out the, the Rust Belt. Um, we're sending all the manufacturing jobs away. And this is a huge problem. And, you know, there's something to that. Right. Um, what the, what bothers me about the Ryan campaign um, is a, is a broader issue about how Democrats um, interact with and interface with their base, you know? Um, and that is like, if Ryan wins, the lesson everyone is gonna draw um, is that the way to victory in a, in a purple state um, is to pretend that you aren't um, the, the party for, for black voters and for racial justice. You're not the party um, for, uh, for equality, for, for feminism, right? Like you're the, you're the, we're only the party of like, um, you know, people that work, um, in a, in a Ford manufacturing plant, you know, and you want to be able to reach those voters, but you don't want to do so in a way that alienates the, the, the young folks with, with different ideas about these things and, and the people that do the work, the hard work for your party. Um, and so if the lesson is like, um, you know, talk more about these bread and butter, issues and maybe you'll win, fine. If the lesson is like, we have to run away from, from all of the, uh, you know, all of the thinking that we've done about, about racial justice and stuff like that, we, we, we just never talk about that stuff again. Progressives are bad, they'll lose everywhere. 
Um, they're going to look at if Mandela Barnes loses in Wisconsin and Tim Ryan wins in Ohio, right? They won't say this out loud, right? But the lesson they're going to draw is like, well, we got to run, you know, we got to run the white guy with the accent. Um, and, and just like, maybe, you know, maybe we'll be ready for black candidates in 10 or 14 years. Um, and so what, what's shaping up to me is, and I don't like this at all, is you're going to, it looks like there's a bunch of like prominent black candidates for Democrats who are going to lose. Um, that's Val Demings in, in Florida. It's Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. Um, Sherry Beasley in North Carolina. Um, these are all, you know, relatively close races that Democrats are currently ch trailing. Um, and then you have the white Democratic candidate in, in Ohio, who's also trailing and is also probably going to lose. But the narrative that's going to come out of that, right, is like, don't nominate progressives, right? Like, don't nominate a black candidate um, in a state like Wisconsin or North Carolina. Um, and it, it's it's going to it's going to reinforce, I think, the the now hardened belief among the centrist sort of like moderate pundit core um, that progressive politics is poisonous, you know, um, and it's there'll be no no one will be like awake enough to square the circle. Like if Democrats have a bad night next, you know, next Tuesday, which I'm not convinced that they will. Okay. If we can end this on a happy note in a few minutes, but if, if, uh, you know, if Democrats lose the house and they, they lose a seat in the Senate or something, um, the moderates are simultaneously going to argue, um, right. Like, uh, this is a, you know, like Biden was right all along to pursue an incrementalist agenda. Look, we beat expectations. Um, by not losing so many seats in the House or not losing so many seats in the Senate. Um, also, these black progressive candidates were bad and we should not nominate them anymore. And that's going to be the story heading into 2024. And I think that's going to be a big problem. Well, it will be a big problem. And uh, I guess we're going to be closing this conversation before I get to your predictions, because uh, that's a good way to end it. Uh, going By going back to Kanye West, and I'll be writing about this because this is really on my mind. Uh, it could be if everything goes bad for the Democrats, uh, all those uh, Democrats that you just named, all those uh, black Democrats that you just named will lose. Uh, and uh, you should add to the list Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker will win, in which case there'll be two black men, uh, Republican senators and one uh, black man, re Democratic senator, uh, which is really bizarre considering that uh, roughly 90 percent of uh, black America votes Democrat uh, in an election. And it, this will indicate to me that Republicans have been successful uh, with their strategy of positioning black people at the forefront of their political discourse to articulate uh, their nonsense when it comes to race. And they've done that with uh, Candace Owens and Larry Elders and Clarence Thomas, and the list goes on and on. And now uh, they're adding uh, Ye West to the list. Oh, he went really too far. And they were in danger of alienate, alienating their Jewish supporters. So they kind of had to walk away from that. That's very interesting in and of itself. The game they're playing there, when Tucker Carlson edited out the anti-Semitic rants of uh, Kanye West, it only kept in the anti-black ones. But that says it all, David. They want Kanye West saying things like, George Floyd died because of the fentanyl in his system. He wasn't murdered by a white cop. That is just something that is uh, outrageous. Uh, and he should be let out of prison. Okay, that they want him saying that, but they don't want him going on and on uh, with his hate for Jews because they need Jewish support in uh, Ohio. If JD Vance is going to squeak by uh, Tim Ryan, they need it in uh, Pennsylvania. If, if Oz is going to be Fetterman, they need it in Florida. If uh, DeSantis uh, is going to be Chris, you know it as well as I do. So they edit out the anti-Semitism. Keep in the anti-black. That is the Republican game that they're playing. And now you got blacks and Jews fighting each other. It's like working. <laughs> it's Democrats, wake up. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Don't you see how you're being used? And uh, so it's effective. So Herschel Walker, uh, like all a white MAGA is going to vote for him. Uh, and then for some reason, the quote unquote swing voters who voted for Warnock are somehow because of the high price of gas at the pump 
going to decide, well, I voted for Warnock in 2020, but I think this raving lunatic is a better choice. It's like, what makes you think, Georgia swing voters, that Herschel Walker, as a mess of a human being as he is, is going to somehow or other bring down the price of gas in Georgia? So I would say that their strategy will have worked if your prophecy comes true. Yeah, I mean, the Republican slogan right now is just short, right? Just short of saying out loud, put more black people in jail and the gas prices will come down, right? Like that's the message of the campaign at its heart. Like you read, you, you watch these crime ads and they're not subtle, Ben, you know, they're not subtle at all. Um, it's like, you know, Bill Barr wrote a New York Times op-ed the other day that was like, we had crime fixed until they started letting people out of jail again. Um, you got Tom Cotton saying like, we don't have enough people in jail in the first place, right? The highest incarceration rate in the world. Uh, nobody wants to take a step back and be like, why, you know, <laughs> what's causing all this? Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, the strategy is, is, is reasonably effective. I think it's not as effective as they think it is. Um, because this race is tied essentially across the board um, in a situation where Republicans should be heavily favored to take the Senate. Republicans should be running away with the House. If if Joe Biden is unpopular as, uh, as the polls say he is, this should be a slam dunk for them. And it's not um, because, uh, because of various sort of extremist policies that actually are, I think, getting through to independent voters um, and, and sort of cross-pressuring them, right? Like people aren't happy about certain aspects of the economy. They're also not happy about, you know, the January 6th weirdos and uh, somebody tried to murder the Speaker of the House's husband this morning, um, right? Like uh, there, are, there are some things that are affiliated with the GOP right now that are, that are highly negative. Um, and that has led to, a, to an environment that looks, if you believe the public polling, like we're gonna have one of the closest midterm elections that we've ever had. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, we could end up with a Congress that is as closely split as it is now might not be controlled by Democrats, but it, but it will be very close. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 we'll do some predictions, right? But at this point, there's, there's not much, but the Democrats are still begging me for money. But we, we, we need to all have a conversation after this election about how many text messages the Democrats send to us, okay? There should be a way to just make it stop. You know, like, I'll give you $150 if you just seriously just leave me alone for the rest of the cycle. Um, but we're at the point where you, you, you'd really do a lot more good picking up the phone or going and knocking on some doors than you, than you are worrying about any of this stuff or, or, or wondering who's going to win or, or what poll is skewed in what direction. Um, you know, this is the, it's with 10 days, right? We got 10 days, the rubber hits the road. Um, and as, you know, as I always like to tell people, you, you gotta leave it, you know, whatever happens on Tuesday, the 8th, you want to be able to say that you left it all out on the field. You know, um, even if you're working for flawed candidates with a flawed messaging strategy and you're frustrated, um, you know, the, the, the alternative here is quite, quite a bit worse. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, by the way, before we get to the predictions, what you just said was, uh, is interesting. I've only gotten one. I don't know what, why this is the case. I've gotten one candidate that sends me text message solicitations and it's a Democrat, uh, the Congresswoman running in Alaska. Uh, Mary uh, Patola, I think it's like I always dyslexia and I, I reverse the L and the T. That's it. I don't, I don't get any. But on email, I get twenty, and I say this all the time: twenty an hour from MAGA. I don't get. Occasionally, I'll get a Democratic one in there. So I don't know what it is that I'm projecting into the universe that MAGA runs <laughs> to me on the e email. Uh, while you get solicitations on text from Democrats, there's what the heck's going on with their computers? I think I can tell you this one. I, I think that you're, you know, you write, you're a public figure. Um, and I think that sometimes the MAGA people put you on their email lists, like um, as a joke or like to annoy you. Um, for example, I'm on Carrie Lake, the, you know, the Republican. I get her stuff. Somebody put my Roosevelt in my work email on her on her campaign list, um, and that has to be somebody in the campaign being like, "Let's put a bunch of the libs on our on our mailing list and just rub their faces in it." Um, and they don't understand how quickly I can hit unsubscribe to things. So, <laughs> but I think that's what's going on there. I mean, the the 
the million texts from Democrats is easily explainable. Like you, you make one donation to Act Blue, uh, uh, and then it. you're going to get 50 emails from. I, I get, I, you know, honestly, man, I hear more from Beto O'Rourke than I do from my parents, um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a lot. Uh. <laughs> so to me, this I hope he wins. <laughs> no, but there's there's probably more important races than the governor of Texas. But um, yeah, it, it's a little bit frustrating. Well, I get uh, email solicitations on behalf of Joe Biden, and they're addressed to Peggy. And I'm like, <laughs> there's no Peggy in this house. My name is not now, nor has it ever been Peggy. I don't know what made them think that I'm Peggy. But I get email. the only solicitations I get, dear Peggy, we haven't heard from you for a while. Yes, because I do not exist. <laughs> you never heard from Peggy because there is no Peggy here. Uh, um, but if, uh, if you want to have a good laugh, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, McSweeney is the website. It's a yes, website. yes. Um, they ran a really, really funny piece the other day that was like, um, if I emailed my parents the way Democrats email us, uh, and it's like, mom and dad, could you, it's like, <laughs> urgent, could you rush $300 to me so that I can pay my rent? You know, like, uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> if we talk to anybody in that sort of like weird, desperate tone um, that we that we get these emails from the, from the Democrats about, you know, in the same day, it'll be like, huge haul, you know, we've got... Um, <laughs> We've got Adam Lacks out on his on his heels in, in Nevada. We're going to bring this thing home. Five minutes later, an email from the from the Cortez Masto campaign: "We're losing, David. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> the sky is falling. Bad news. <laughs> this must work on someone, man." But I, all right. Uh, by the way, so you were the one to turn me on to the Twitter feed, which I'm sure will be the first thing Elon Musk gets rid of. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, New York Times pitch bot, which makes fun of the New York Times, which is eminently make make funnable. Uh, they have lost their mind with uh, their strange way of covering politics. And New York Times, I can say this, I am a subscriber. I'm helping fund the enterprise. I get this paper delivered. So I'm your, like your dumbest subscriber. I'm your most generous subscriber. But the stupid stuff you've been writing this campaign season, I'm John Fetterman campaign at the top of the list uh, since, uh, since that debate. Uh, but here's this one. I sent it to you. I This is a fake headline. Uh, which absolutely could appear in the New York Times. I live in Ohio, but the stories I've heard about crime in San Francisco leave me cho no choice but to vote Republican on November 8th. That is so New York Times. It's like <laughs> they feed the, the word anxieties of Democrats. Republicans are motivated by anger at Democrats, and they, they just are bold in their declarations. Democrats are motivated by fear and anxiety, and they whimper. And they whimper constantly. And that headline says it all, David. You know, oh, oh, I saw a article about crime in San Francisco. Oh, no. Like, there's never been crime in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, all right, John Fetterman, before we get to predictions, uh, your thoughts on uh, the coverage of the debate uh, he had with Dr. Oz a, a few days ago. Yeah, I I'm pretty frustrated with the coverage of Fetterman. You know, I mean, when you when you contrast this with the way that the press corps has treated um, other people who are working with disabilities in the U.S. Senate, um, I think the contrast is pretty clear. Like nobody did this to Mark Kirk in um, in 2016 when he was running for re-election. Um, obviously, um, somewhat impaired, right? Um, no, no, but there wasn't a 40 day, day discourse about whether he was up for the job. Um, John, you know, John McCain was was operating. Um, heavily diminished, even when he was the last time he was reelected. Um, he obviously was not, uh, the, the person that he once was. Um, so you, and, and there's also like 15, like 97 year old dudes in the Senate. Um, you know, Chuck Grassley, uh, <laughs> who's bar barely coherent. He's like 9,000 years old running for reelection. Um, the, the, the Chuck Grassley debate was not all about like, Chuck, are you too old for this? You know, yeah, yeah. uh, who's the president, Chuck, what day is it? You know? <laughs> Uh, what are your grandkids' names? Can you name them all? Say them backwards. Do it, do it quick. Count back from 100, Chuck. Um, and so the, the way that the, the way that this whole Pennsylvania campaign has been turned into like, is John Fetterman up for the job? Is pretty gross. I will also say, I mean, he didn't have a great debate, right? Like, like let's let's not mince words here. Um, but I will say, I have watched other debate footage of John, of John Fetterman. This wasn't really very much worse than <laughs> than than pre-stroke. He's not a good debater. Um, I, I don't think that he's great, uh, at, you know, just coming up with zingers and pulling facts out of the air. Um, none of, none of which is, a, none of this stuff is a skill that, that will serve you in the U S Senate anyway. 
Um, so it's kind of a mystery in some ways why we're still doing this at all. But um, I think Fetterman's going to pull it out. Honestly, I, I, I think um, I'm, I'm still confident about that race. Uh, it'll be closer than it should be. Um, but, uh, but I think he's going to pull it out. Uh, there's not a lot of polling that has, there's like maybe one poll that has, that has Oz up. Um, and if you dig into the, to the cross tabs on some of these polls, it's like, uh, no, he's not winning 30% of the black vote, you know, like, um, and this is, this is a problem with the polling overall and the whole cycle right now is that, um, there's four or five Republican firms that are in the field flooding the polling aggregators and the polling averages with, with partisan polling. Um, and, and I, I don't know what's going to happen on the eighth, but I really don't, um, because it, it is, it's like, it's so hard to make t- predictions in a, in a toss up election like this. But I do think that there's some really bad polling out there. And in the last three, four cycles, a lot of the bad polling has been, you know, uh, has benefited Republicans. Right? They've done better than expected. And I think it's our turn. <laughs> it's like, I think it's our turn to outperform the polls. I also think um, some of these, uh, I think some of these Republican pollsters are, are, are really not above the board. I think they're trying to drive the narrative with, with bad polling for certain candidates. Um, and I don't think it's super plausible. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like John Fetterman, you know, with, with the fullness of hindsight, would it maybe have been better to, to not have someone recovering from a stroke as our candidate in the key race to keep the Senate? Probably not, you know, but, um, but it's, that's more an indictment of American society and its treatment of people with disabilities than it is uh, John, John Fetterman's problem. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on the last line. Uh, all right, so let's get uh, really just boom. Okay, you predict Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Who do you got in Ohio? I think Vance is going to pull it out in Ohio. Um, if you show me, like, if 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 uh, if Ryan gets up into 48, 49 in the polling averages, I'll think he has a chance. But the, I just I wrote a piece about this a few weeks ago. But Democrats, like the final polling average number in places like Ohio, Wisconsin, um, Florida, uh, Democrats tend to hit that number exactly, and it's Republicans who have been sweeping up the undecided vote. Um, and so I'd say this about Barnes too in Wisconsin, if he's at 46, 47 on election night, they're going down. Um, if Barnes or, or Ryan is at 48, 49, I think they have a real chance. Um, but unfortunately at this time, I think, you know, I think that they're both going to lose. Uh, uh, Bar- you think Barnes is going to lose as well yeah. to, wow, yeah. to Ron Johnson, who makes, uh, John Fetterman look like Abraham Lincoln when it comes to, uh, I mean, just, the, the New York times disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful, uh, and uh, Fetterman on his worst day is better than Oz on his best day in terms of talking to a microphone. Uh, all right. Uh, so when you come back in the show again, will uh, Democrats control both houses uh, or will it be a different situation? My prediction right now is that Democrats will still. <laughs> sorry, and I hate to say this. Uh, I think they'll still control the Senate. Um, 50-50, and then we'll have de facto co-president Joe Manchin again. <laughs> I, think, um, yeah. I think Democrats are going to lose the House. I don't think it's going to be um, a, a wave election. They only need to flip like six seats to, to take the House. Um, and I think that they will get that. Um, but I think that the margin will be quite narrow, and it'll be hard to build a narrative of like, you know, huge repudiation of Joe Biden out of a 10 or 15 seat changeover that does see the change in party control, but um, but I think will be substantially less significant uh, losses on the margins than you would see in a in a wave election. That, that's that's what I think is going to happen. So um, I think that we're going to pick up the seat in Pennsylvania. I don't love Catherine Cortez's Cortez Masto's polling in Nevada. I don't like anybody's polling in Nevada. Um, I think something's going on there that's um, that could hurt us in the end. But I think Maggie Hassan's going to win in New Hampshire. I think. Um, you know, Fetterman wins. I think Warnick's going to win. Uh, I think that Warnick's going to win outright on, on election night. I don't even think there's going to be a runoff. Um, and so when you take that that mix of like Mark Kelly's going to win in Arizona. So that mix of seats, it's like we pick up one, we lose one. For better or for worse, that lands us right back at 50-50. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll take 50-50. Yeah, I'll take it too. I'd love to be wrong about all this. You know, it's it's possible. Look, if the polls are off by three points and, and they're biased against Democrats this time, then we may end up with 52, 53 seats in the Senate and we may keep the House. Um, and that is fully within the realm of possibility. Um, and it's so uh, people are talking about the House like it's lost and the House is not lost. Um, the election has not happened yet. Um, we, we still have the power to go out there and turn our people out um, and, and do everything that we can to, to get this done. And 
Um, I, I think Democrats, I think 538 has Democrats at about the same percentage to hold the House as they had Trump to win in 2016, right? And okay. Trump won Odds come through. Uh, so wow. Let's make it this year. Let's beat the odds. We All can right, do it. Very good. That's as good a spot as I need uh, to leave. A little optimism. I'm feeling fortified. I'm going to go place my bets in Vegas uh, as soon as I get off the show. David Ferris, thank you very much. Always a blast talking to you. Always, always great to be here, Ben. And uh, next time we talk, we will know our fate. <laughs> what we'll do is just uh, we'll take whatever really happens and we'll redo the end uh, prediction segment of the show, stitch it in. No one will know. It's something MAGA would pull, like a MAGA stunt. <laughs> Rewrite Absolutely. history. Absolutely. <laughs>